and welcome to the Fantasy Book of the Month podcast, and we're having a slightly different episode yet again. I'm joined by extra special guest, Jenko Wexler. Hi! Uh, it's great to be here. Thank you. It, it, it's weird. You email people and say, hey, do you want to be on my podcast? And they say yes. It's strange. I will always <laughs> be on podcasts. It's like... Just come and hang out with me and my friends. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, That's us. We're basically BFFs now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Django Wexler is the author of many a series, including uh, Burning Blade and Silver Eye, which we reviewed on a earlier episode. Hopefully that comes out earlier, how time works. Uh, also, The Shadow Campaigns, one of my favorite series. Uh, and, uh, Sorcery of the Wells, I believe, if I can dyslexia that uh, title correctly. Um, am I missing anything for your intro? It is Wells of Sorcery. Um, ah. But, uh, and uh, I have a series called Nether Wings and the Forbidden Library, which are both um, middle grade. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, so welcome to the podcast. And, Thank you. Uh, I at least I really enjoy your work. I don't know if everyone. <laughs> I was um, going to say, I haven't heard your review yet, so I hope it wasn't, like, really bad. No, actually, it was picked by um, some booktube friends of mine um, by because I forced them to read it. <laughs> and then they forced my podcast to read a book. Um, it just came in a that. big Rachel circle. Mm. <laughs> good. Forcing your friends to read books is like a circle. Supreme joy, sometimes. Um, Absolutely. If they have tolerant friends, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say that we we all um, we we all we all reviewed your your book positively. You don't um, have to. I, think, I was just joking. Yeah. No, no. We, I think we all did though. Um, and I, and now I, we're here for the roast. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have actually never been invited on a podcast where they were like, well, I fucking hated your book. So I wanted to have you on here to talk about it. That has yet that to happen would... to me, but maybe someday. Okay, like, well, imagine... first official interview question. How would you I... feel? <laughs> I like to think those people would just, like, not invite me, maybe? Right, but what if they did? Like, what if they wanted to have you on to to fu- criticize I... your book to your face? I uh, I probably... That's tough. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it sounds them. awful. I'd fight them, like as long as it was in good humor. Okay, like boxing. No, I mean like you know, have an argument. Oh, I do okay. fight people on the internet for fun, although not usually about my books. What What is your favorite fighting on the internet topic? Oh, jeez, you don't want to get me started. Uh, I've had to cut <laughs> way back, but is politics? <laughs> um, I. I fight people who like cryptocurrency. That's that's oh, yeah. oh my god, yeah. Uh, yeah. The crypto bros, you know, I used to spend mm-hmm. a lot of time on Reddit arguing with crypto bros. Um, so if you want to know, you know, why cryptocurrency is a bad idea, I can tell you. And I could tell you even back when it looked like it was going great. I was going to say, I think the world knows now. Yeah, now it's a little more obvious. <laughs> right. No, it's not such a hot take anymore. Yeah. Let's let's think here. Was there is there any roasting we can do? 
about. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Since you, since you're you, you're just asking and asking for it. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Django, how long have you lived in in the Pacific Northwest? Um, since two thousand eight, I think. No, two thousand seven. Oh, I know. Oh, man, we, going. We, we, so, I know. You, of course, Katie does. You so. So you've come, man, I have lived in Seattle for 15 years also. Um, yeah. But I did grow up in the Pacific Northwest. And I just have to ask you, how much time have you actually spent around blackberry bushes? Quite a lot. Um, I used to go then walking. Oh, go ahead. How? How can you imagine blackberry bushes kept in a tidy trim hedge as you describe in ashes of the sun <laughs> um you just have to <laughs> prune them back with a chainsaw you know okay so so okay so i'm this is helping fill out the world building so the people yeah. in that village had a chainsaw had a chainsaw no you can okay. do a blackberry hedge it's it's um you like they have that like big hoop it, a properly trimmed blackberry hedge looks kind of like a waterfall where like the blackberries sort of jump down and then you cut them when they try to go anywhere else. It's kind of a pain in the butt, but you can H do it. Have you, have, have you made one? No. Have you, have you accomplished? I've seen pictures of one. This, this still feels mythical to me. This is a thing that like, like, you know, 19th century gardeners did. Right, where 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 you have an estate lord who can pay a gardener to do this full time. Well, the idea so was thank you, you for just coming on our Blackberry discussion podcast. <laughs> if you can't tell, this really bothered Peter. Okay. <laughs> you went on like a thirty-minute tangent during our other show. We uh, had to stop him. Also, I had to cut out so much. They called my wife. You may have noticed that various plants and animals in um, Ashes of the Sun. Well, this is Ashes of the Sun we're talking about, right? At the yes. moment, mm -hmm. yes. Um, are somewhat more convenient than they are in real life. And it's possible that there are even plot reasons for that. So stay tuned. Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. So it's actually oh. like a secret clue. It's all about the blackberries. It all makes sense now. Oh, my goodness. So <laughs> I, I quickly uh, Googled blackberry hoops, and I've never seen a sadder-looking plant. <laughs> 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 the chaos of a blackberry forced into some kind of like archway. Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> I recommend everyone listening right now, whatever you're doing, if you're driving, I don't care. Pull out your cell phone. I don't think you can condone that. Uh, well, for yeah. legal reasons I can't. <laughs> for illegal reasons he does. Okay. Okay. Let's I uh yeah. I'm I'm excited by the potential setting implications that I had not yet considered about blackberry bushes that actually behave themselves. Yeah. So uh, I am entirely mollified. Awesome. Uh, and and not only that, it seems like a good segue. I I think I heard from someone that there's another a third book in the series coming out soon. There is. Um, will it be out by the time this airs? When about are you? No. Will this? Okay. Uh, it's coming it, it, out. Sometime in uh, early March, I think, is the current date. 
of next our, year. our planned schedule for this is february so it'll be coming okay, out next so month then. a month from from when you presently uh exist although it's still next year from my current point in time um yeah emperor of ruin um this is one of the books that was sort of mildly delayed by the supply chain chaos of the last couple of years only by a few months in my case um so it's um it's kind of exciting that it's like finally coming out it was supposed to come out originally like around october of this year so not all that much difference but it like feels like a lot yeah. I, I will say i got the, the pleasure of reading an arc and it was great i loved it great i'm glad yeah I, I had so much fun with it, and so I'm, like, excited could, to show it to everybody. I think I could tell. Uh, I really <laughs> like it. Uh, my name for it is Gay Fantasy Star Wars Series. <laughs> that's that's actually very accurate. Um, <laughs> it's, like, close to my name for it. Um, that's, that's how she pitches it to literally everybody. <laughs> I think that's how she's pitched it to us for well over six months now. Oh, yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would. I will say um, one thing I, I mentioned on our our podcast was I uh, I was definitely surprised when, at least from my point of view, I I, f- I found it to be a lot more prequel Star Wars than I was expecting. <laughs> yes. Um, not everybody true. agreed with me on that, but do you, do you, are you a fan of the prequels? No. Um, no. <laughs> I am a big fan of Star Wars. Um, in general, I don't like the prequels because everything in them is wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah, too much sand. Uh, but but <laughs> I love that universe so much, um, and I love the various things in it that I engage with it in possibly an, an unhealthy manner. Um, and so, so while I'm not a fan of the prequels, you know, this um, the series definitely has its origins there. Um, or more specifically, there's an episode of the Clone Wars where we see a bunch of younglings joining the Jedi Order, and they do this at about age five. Um, and the the narrator's like, after the Jet, the younglings join the Jedi Order, and they soon learn that they found their real family. And I'm like, that's a cult, right? That's that's just a cult. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, like, talking to um, some friends of mine, um, I know Max Gladstone and Seth Dickinson were there at a con, uh, and we were talking about this, and that's kind of where the origin of this came from, low these many years ago. Okay, so which is the best Star Wars movie, and why is it Rogue One? <laughs> oh, wow. yeah. see, the problem is you say these things because you want like someone to like laugh, but like I could talk about that topic for the next three hours. Um, but not on this podcast. This is the Blackberry not. Bush podcast. This and is we the don't... Blackberry Bush podcast. Um, I still have to go with the original series. Um, I did not particularly like Rogue One, um, oh. although it has good things in it. Um, I, I have a. I literally wrote an essay about this. Actually, it's on my website. Um, but uh, it's really good. The best Star Wars outside of the original trilogy is Andor, though, which just finished up. Oh man, you're not wrong. Like, and it's like it's not even close. No. Um the, I mean Andor I guess, is like the best thing on TV right now. Yeah, the only far, other pieces of Star Wars <laughs> that have really come close are Mandalorian um in mm-hmm. visual media and uh some parts of the cartoons. 
Like some of the Clone Wars is genuinely great. Some of it is. I'm a big fan of the Clone Wars. Yeah. Yeah. This Clone Wars is is weird. Um, (laughs) That's a totally different podcast. But the Clone Wars feels like half the time it's like really cool and like well written, and half the time it's like robots stepping in poop jokes. And I'm like, yep. why is this here? It's very much a kid's show, but it's also sort of like a retcon of the prequels in a way. Yeah, kind of. It's, I don't know. It's, I don't know. They made it for eight-year-olds, uh, except when it's about, like, trade negotiations. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Quick, quick, uh, not 180, like, more like quick 72-degree shift. Feel free How to do you cut feel out about... my Star Wars bullshit. Oh no! Oh no! no. We're leaving in, in every, everything that we can squeeze a laugh out of, or preserve for future generations. Um, but yes, how do you feel about Stargate SG One? I have never watched Stargate SG One. It's like oh. been on my like list of things to like. Oh, maybe check that out someday. But like, I have no time. Um, I missed uh, it well. as it came out. I've seen the original Stargate movie, I think. But I like, mean, which is great, which is great. Yeah, I mean, it's, really I know it's a different, different thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's one of those um, TV shows that I have just never uh, watched. Um, Understood. I'll I'll let it go this time. That's fair. No, there's sweet. a lot of TV. There's a lot of good TV. I started oh my watching... god! There's so much TV. When I had the baby, I started watching more TV because I can watch TV with like her in my lap. And um, I've just been like going through all these like lists of recommended shows on Netflix and whatever. There's so much more good TV now than there was when I was a kid. Everything back then, like we we used to voluntarily watch Jerry Springer, which shows you how like starved for anything. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No. I mean, uh, Dan didn't make us watch all of Gargoyle. Yeah, it's true. But that was uh, at least a third of it was good. So <laughs> that's true. That's true. The first thirteen episodes are excellent. <laughs> it's that, Man, it's I've that never heard somebody pitch something. Watch out for. Somebody something. But you know what I like to do when I'm watching TV is read books. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> Wow, that's a weird segue. Why would you do that? <laughs> it's not like this is the TV podcast that's kind of dead now. This is Fantasy TV of the Month podcast, right? Yeah. Right, yeah. Nailed yeah, it. F to bomb. F to bomb. <laughs> so, Django, you did say that Rachel's kind of, I guess, blurb of the book is close to what you kind of pitch it as. So what's yours? Um... My pitch is something like, I mean, if I if I'm being sort of upfront about the Star Wars influence, is something like, you know, this, like, taking kids at a young age to join the Jedi Order versus the people who are kind of left behind by that. Um, but it's also about kind of the nature of power because the other trick about about the order is that they're in charge right by virtue of being the ones with the magic swords who can blow up cities um but they didn't do anything to earn that power other than be born with it um and so is this is gathering all the people who can blow up cities into an order 
that theoretically is responsible for the defense of the world a good idea or have you just created this like unaccountable bunch of you know hyper murderers um <laughs> so there's that and then also the setting uh is this kind of post fantasy apocalypse not mm-hmm. a world not the fantasy post apocalypse where after the fall of regular civilization a fantasy world has appeared which is a different thing but rather after the collapse of a high fantasy civilization and in particular um a lot of fantasy worlds have the like the old empire where they had unimaginably high magic or technology or whatever but there's like nothing left of it except for like a couple of ancient ruins and some highways or whatever and Mm -hmm. in in this world i wanted it to be much more like post-apocalypse of like a modern day civilization so that like if it collapsed there would just be crap everywhere it would be the dominant feature of every landscape um would be just the junk left over from civilization so italy yeah kind of <laughs> wow <laughs> That's but it wouldn't I... just be like oh i've heard rumors of these steel buildings they'd be just like decaying everywhere the eye That's could see right. Yeah, it's almost like um, actual nature at that point is more rare, which you kind of get the impression of, especially from uh, Geyer's chapters. Yeah, well, in this book, it doesn't help that they have these horrible plague spawn monsters that eat things. Um, (laughs) Right. We don't have those yet. Uh I mean, arguably, we have some invasive species. I mean, there's Nigeria Fowley, which are amoeba Mm. that eat your brain. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's like it's like the rabbits in Australia, right? You know, the invasive species mm. that devours everything. I thought Australia was an invasive species. <laughs> oh my gosh! All of our Australian listeners, listeners, right now. Yeah. <laughs> they're just, yeah, they're all turning off the podcast. At it's only once. in Hollywood. It'll it'll cause a power surge. <laughs> oh well, my bad. <laughs> wow. Um. Oh yes. Um. So outside of the like the Star Wars influence, I, I wanted to know what other types of uh, things influenced you for this this world setting. This book specifically, um, hmm. there's a lot of anime in it. Um, I'm a big anime yes. fan, and yes. that doesn't always make its way into my writing. Um, but in this one, there's a lot. Um, the way Maya thinks about the world is a very anime way to look at the world, um, and just the way her powers look and feel is very anime um the sort of constant aura of flames around her is a very it's a picture like a studio trigger look if you know what that means it's kind of that look um and um the the way the uh plague spawn look um that kind of like gooey fleshy look it's like the giant tumor from akira um so stuff like that um what else have i put in there can i if i can interject can you uh explain a little more what you mean when you say maya's outlook on the world is is very anime because i don't i don't quite know what that means and so i'm curious about that one maya has an outlook on the world that's very kind of like anime protagonist where like the way to solve any problem is like by being good and kind at it, like really hard. 
I, um, yeah, okay. Now I understand. Uh, you know, <laughs> head on and as hard as you can. And then, you know, Ooh. all the bad guys will end up as your friends. She sort of moderates just that need to over be the course more of the, genuine. Right. Over the course of the series. But like, okay. you know, it, if if someone won't like accept your point of view, then you just need to like befriend befriend them with your fists. Um and this is this is a thing that anime protagonists do. Um it totally is. You're totally right. <laughs> um and so, you know, it, it's part of the sort of clash of worldviews there, since Geyer is much more like a like a dark, gritty fantasy protagonist. He's in like a hooded cloak perching on the top of a building with daggers. Um you know, it's it's a different different look. Mm-hmm. Admittedly, I'm getting Joker vibes from Persona There's a little bit 5. of that. Oh, yeah. oh, that Joker, not um. Yeah. We live in a society, like, Joker. <laughs> the the it's not his it's not his personality, but his like outfit feels yes. very P five Joker. Um, That's definitely so, that could be in there. I love P five so much, so that'd make me happy. Um. um so I, I did have a follow-on question about if you can get like anime studio to animate uh, the series studio would you pick oh it has to be trigger i mean there's oh, sometimes yeah. there's other studios that i would pick because like it's kind of lame because i think trigger is like one of the best studios out there so it's like picking you know you know if so if some director could animate could direct your movie oh steven spielberg like whatever um right right but like you know just the way the magic looks in this show if you look at something like gurren Lagann or promare it's like it's perfect Admittedly, my, my my entire vibe right now is kill la kill la kill. I'm like, yeah. that's not the only anime that's that, that's been uh, animated <laughs> by Trigger. Romare has all that great fire, um, mm. which is like it just looks so cool. Actually, if you if you want like a visual pitch for what I did with this story, Trigger did an animation for like the Star Wars compilation of anime stuff. And it's great. It looks exactly like what I would think it, what you think it would look like. Just people popping arms out at ten thousand degrees around their body and lightsabers and everything. I mean, it, and it ends up with a lightsaber fight out, like jumping between the surface of two star destroyers. Right. So yeah. <laughs> uh, look to the to the anime look. Actually, uh, we we had a really this is a very unimportant question, but. <laughs> A lot of the characters have, uh, you know, green hair or blue hair, mm-hmm. and we were, we had mentioned that we were curious if, like, in this world, are they dyeing their hair or do they just have strange colored hair? They just have strange colored hair, and there is an explanation okay. as to why. You have to read the third book. Okay. All right. Well, that's a, all right. We'll have to read the third book then. It's the same reason <laughs> that the blackberry bushes are are manageable. Possibly, it's all a conspiracy. That's right. From from big blackberry. Jesus. <laughs> yep, Jesus is involved. Oh, good. I was wondering. There we go. <laughs> Who was your favorite character to write in the series? Um, have uh, have to say Kit. It's like kind of it has to be Kit. Um, <laughs> it's one of those characters. I can always tell which are my favorite characters to write because they're the ones that I have to kind of tone down. Um, because it's usually this a... is Kate down. 
Yeah, well, not so much toned down as like, um, like less of her, you know, because it's like when I'm having a lot of fun writing a character, I'm like, Django, the book can't be like 75% kit snarky dialogue. Like, it has to, there have to be other things in there. Yeah, when you have yeah. a secondary character who's like super fun, then you have to be like, no, that can't be the whole book, though. So um, it has to be kid. Okay, because she was like absolutely fucking deranged yes. like the entire time. And I have not it took me a while down. to love her, but in the end, I was like, oh, I need more of her. I I think my favorite kit moment is in book two. <laughs> is well, it a spoiler? Yeah. No, it's a scene I told you about. Um, the voyeur moment. Oh, all oh. oh, right. Kit's <laughs> such a pervert, so it's just it's great. It's great. And... I, I have to ask about the 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 um the narrator that was chosen for your for the audiobook version of this because she puts a lot of uh, English into Kit's lines, and I wonder, like, did you have a lot of input on that? She seemed to dive nope. into that character more than anyone else. I did not. I generally don't have much more to do with the audiobooks than like they they call me up with a list of words that they need pronunciations for i tell mm. you nothing makes you feel sillier than <laughs> sitting down and leading reading a list of words that you have made up and it's just like all one after another like all these names and like and you're just like oh god why why did i do this like it all sounds terrible <laughs> now um but i mean the best you know, audiobook narrators, audiobook is its own craft, and the, the narrators know what they're doing, and I've been lucky to get very good narrators for almost all of my books, and this one in particular. Um, but it's not anything I can claim credit for. The, you know, the folks at the, at the audiobook place know their business, and the narrators are always great. So that, that's all her. So... Now I had to ask the others because some of them, some of us listen to audiobooks. I couldn't stand to absorb information so slowly, so um, so I read it. So they had to tell me how to pronounce Geyer, mm. um, but th you know they didn't bother to tell me how to say the name of the magic. Is it Dayot? Dayot. Dayot. All right. Um, I'm gonna. I want to go a little further afield here. Which of your works are you most proud of um choose one of your children and oh kill the rest God. no oh I, don't God, Peter. I don't know if i can even do that um i well, i would probably which am i most proud of no i'll may... give you a backup question if you if you can't handle this one which is which one was hardest yeah, I was going to kind of default to that, um, actually. So in answer to both, I'd say of the stuff that's been published, one of my unpublished projects may be the hardest one I've done. Um, but of the stuff that's been published, and hopefully it'll be published soon. It's not unpublished like forever, just not yet. Um, I think probably uh, the Infernal Battalion, book five of the Shadow Campaigns, because... Mm -hmm. A, the Shadow Campaigns is very long, and so getting to the ending of, you know, a million words 
of series was mm-hmm. felt like a real accomplishment. And then also, it was kind of the first series I wrote for a serious publication. And um, I wasn't as good when I started it as like at like outlining and planning. Like I learned those skills very much over time. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so it meant that there was a lot of kind of fancy footwork to get it all to like link up correctly, like in time and space. Um, mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of, of difficult tricks and hand waves that went into that. Um, getting it to a place where it actually had the ending that I envisioned it having four years earlier was like, <laughs> like a real accomplishment. Wow. I usually, you if know. It help- yep. I was going to say, if it helps. I didn't notice. I was too excited to read No, I don't think anybody <laughs> has noticed. I mean, it, it, you know, it's... It, it was one of those things where you like, you know, you're writing stuff and you're like, you do this and you do this. And then you're like trying to work out the actual chronology of like how fast you can get from point A to point B. And you're like, oh, it doesn't work. What do I do now? But, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm seeing something interesting and you, you we can avoid that if it's awkward. Um, but on Wikipedia, at least it has the five books of the shadow campaigns spread over three different publishers. And I'm curious if there's a story behind that or if it's um, not interesting. It's not that interesting. Uh, the U.S. books are all from what is now Penguin Random House. Um, AD mm-hmm. Rock are just imprints, and so they decided, for whatever marketing reason, to use Ace on some of them and Rock on the other. Uh, I, have, okay. I have no idea why. In the U.K., it was originally being released by Delray UK, but that effectively shut down um, after book three. And so books four and five were picked up by Head of Zeus. Oh, man. Okay. So, yeah. Not, so just, just, just publishing industry uh, mishmash, basically. Got it. Does mean yeah. if you, if you want to collect a consistent set of those books, the heart, the Ace Rock hardbacks are the only way. None of the other sets are consistent. Not even because oh. there are no mass market paperbacks of the second and third books, only trade. Like it's a mess. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're a shelf completionist, you have to get the hardbacks. Oh, that would drive me mad. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, I have heard fact, from people who it has driven mad. <laughs> I believe fact, Rachel is one of these, right? Yeah. Yes. In fact, I got rid of the first three in mass market and, and because I have the last two in the trade paperback and it was just, I couldn't organize them in any way. Oh, and, you know, for on behalf of authors, I apologize, we're not in charge of it. No. Not, yeah. I was like, publishers? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a pain. Speaking of bookshelves... Jacob, would you be willing? Would you be willing to post a picture of your bookshelves because I love bookshelves and the organization structure. And if you don't, you'll be the only special guest who's never done it. So I will be wow, happy to. Uh, I will have to. <laughs> I will have to post several pictures because I have a lot of bookshelves. There are that is wonderful (laughs) that's only better from katie's point of view Um, also if you have any pets those are required as well well yes (laughs) um (laughs) you just really have to glance at my twitter feed and you'll see the cats 
Um, Ooh. There's no, they're there all the time. Usually because Casey's posting about them. Casey's my wife. Uh, but I retweet it. So just look at my Twitter feed. There's cat pictures everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I believe yesterday they were helping her wrap Christmas presents. Oh, oh that's yeah. awesome. Helping or helping? Uh, it's hard to say. A little bit of both. <laughs> but yes, I am happy to do that. I have, when we moved into this house, um, Casey and I, we weren't married at the time, but, you know, we've been together for a while and we took the momentous step of combining our book collections, which is oh, like oh, the most romantic thing anyone's ever done for me, right? <laughs> that is so, so sweet. Um, but so we've got the library, which has, I don't know, maybe 15 of these Billy bookcases full of science fiction, fantasy mm -hmm. fiction stuff. And then I have another seven of them in here for like graphic novels and nonfiction. I'm really excited. Holy shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> while, while that's underway, I have uh, another question. And I'm curious if you have a lot of experience with role-playing games. I do. Although not as much recently. Well, it has been harder to get together with people around a, around a table. Yeah. What games have given you your favorite role-playing game experiences? <sighs> it's tough. Well, it's not tough, but the problem is I don't, I can't necessarily recommend them. The thing I've learned about role-playing games <laughs> yes. is that the system, while it matters, it's not that important. Because um, a lot of my favorite experiences have come in games that are hot nonsense. Um, when I was a, a teen, I played a lot of uh, Palladium's Rifts RPG. Um, oh, if you man. guys are familiar with that. And so Rift is this, like, really bonkers world with a lot of, like, wildly creative stuff in it, but the rules system for the game is utter nonsense. Um, and so, like, like our games were seriously, like, 50% attempting to, like, get the rules to actually work in some way that made any sense. Um, oh, yeah. But, like, we had so much fun with this uh, you know, so I can't like recommend it as a system, although there's something to be said for it's just like, like a lot of games like worry about balance and like, <laughs> um, in Rift, it's just like, yeah, you could be a dragon or a walking tank, or I guess you could be a scientist or some shit, like, whatever, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, what? Like there's all We're these here. there's like literally hundreds of character classes and none of them like yeah. they're all on like vastly different scales. Um mm -hmm. so, it always reminded me a little bit of like a comic book universe where it's like I'm Superman yeah. and it's like I'm like accounting man. <laughs> and I'm Jimmy Olsen. Yeah. Um <laughs> but so like uh we had a lot of good times with that. And then I was in college, um we played a lot of uh D D. 3.5 so mm, the yeah. sort of heyday of that um and yeah. i have a lot of fun times from my various roommates and and other people in my campaigns um perhaps one of my favorite uh little moments that can be expressed in a single anecdote was that um this guy in our group gaming group um he uh we they the party was in this dungeon and they had figured out 
very carefully that like all the door handles in this dungeon were like trapped with disintegrate or something. And so that if you touch them, you would be disintegrated. So they had been sort of very carefully opening the doors with string and stuff. And it had been this whole thing. <laughs> and then finally, like it gotten into, they were making a camp. And then like this one dude was arguing with some other players, I think. And um, like, he got mad and he was like all right well you know i'm going over into the next room to like practice my blah 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 and i'm like so you're going through the door and he's like yeah and i'm like all right well roller saving throw versus disintegrate <laughs> like so he had just completely forgotten and he was disintegrated and he just like he's like oh okay and he just like got up left the game and never came back i never saw him again <laughs> i was like oh no i disintegrated him in real life Oh no, man! Your power is it needs to be restrained. Are you are you usually the the game master? Yes, I have always. Yeah. Like back when I was in in uh, high school, we ran this. The way we ran our role playing group back then was like batshit insane. So we had all these people, probably like twenty people in our role playing group, and mm -hmm. oh my god! So we would sometimes be running two or three games at a time. Um. And everyone had their same characters that they used, but the DM was just like whoever wanted to do it that day. Um, and yeah, like it was yeah. the least popular position, so it was often whoever could be like talked into doing it that day. Um, and so like the group had this just like fantastic hunger for DMs, and once I kind of like i was like well maybe i'll try that and they were like great you start tomorrow um <laughs> and like <laughs> like um it it's like being thrown in the deep end of the pool but i got a lot of dming done yeah like a lot um mm -hmm. and uh it helps that in rifts you can be like well uh uh i'm a bunch of ninjas bunch kick down the door and attack you and then like the combat takes four hours so then you yeah to think of anything oh, else God. the rest of the day ah <laughs> uh, fantastic i mean with uh like with with that much rpg experience under your belt is does that has that affected your writing do you do you come to your novels with worlds in mind first and then fit characters inside of them or is and there another way it, it must affect my writing but i would be hard pressed to say how because um i've never written without rpg like i was rpging long before mm -hmm. i was writing um, in fact, some of the original impetus to my writing came from me wanting to do stories in that were like more complicated than the typical ones you get in RPGs, but not being able to do it because it's kind of a low bandwidth um, environment. Um, certainly mm -hmm. the way we did it, like <laughs> I'm going to quote myself here or at least paraphrase myself. Um, because I wrote an essay about this a long time ago, but like the way we used to do these role playing games, like even if you had a GM who wanted to do a sort of longer form adventure, which we encourage them to do, the problem was you you couldn't guarantee people's attendance at any given mm -hmm. session, uh, especially not when we were all fifteen. Um, and so we just play with whoever was there, um, whoever they were, and so like. You know, you'd, you'd go in and you'd find out, like, okay, for session two, two of your four players have been replaced with new people. And then for session three, 
three people have been replaced with new people, including all of the ones who were there for session one. So all anyone knows is what they were told by those people. It, it becomes this like weird game of round robin um, and, or not round robin telephone. And so I described it as like, if you were reading the like Dragonlance books and then like <laughs> in book two, like with no explanation, like Tasselhoff and Caramon were replaced by like a wisecracking ninja and a robot with plasma missiles. And it just like went on from there. Um, because like in Rift, of course, you can have just like anything. Um, yeah. And so like what it meant was that your ability to tell stories was very low bandwidth like doing anything yep. more complicated than like we're fighting those guys and we have to get over there was like virtually impossible oh man you're not wrong at all um and it, i i like that was yeah. my games like obviously if you're you know we, we live in the age, well, no 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 age, but we, like, role, we have like, a lot of people different. yeah oh yeah my campaign is effectively stalled for until Mid January, because one person <laughs> well, isn't not around. So far off anymore. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, even before. Just, uh, yeah. Go ahead. I was gonna say we just opened a crate we really shouldn't have opened, and a big, uh, big monster <laughs> thing that caught, that stunned us for a round appeared, and everyone's like, "What?" And then it was session end, and we're like, "Okay, we're dead." Even before COVID, I had a hard time, like after I left college and, and Pittsburgh and came mm -hmm. to Seattle, like getting D and D together, I've kind of like switched to board games. Like I play a lot of board games these days. And one of the main reasons is that it kind of scratches the same itch, but like you don't have to get a specific group of people together. You can just be mm -hmm. like, okay, everybody wants to play board games. Come to my house. Uh, you know, tonight. Yeah, I've, I've made a habit of designing games that are easier for, uh, groups where you don't know who's going to show up that week. Yeah. That's, you know, life as an adult. On the other hand, I missed, like, I feel like I stopped playing RPGs kind of before playing online became a thing. Like, we were, because mm -hmm. it's probably 2006, 2007, so it was, like, starting to be possible, but, like, connections were still pretty bad in a lot of places, and, like, the software was not there yet. Um, and so, like, that whole thing has just, like, passed me by. Um, so, you know, maybe if you're doing it now, it's easier to get people to show up because you don't all have to be in the same place anyway. It varies. <laughs> yeah. We, we we play via Discord, and yeah. it's just like, eh, you can only play at 7 p.m. on a Sunday. <laughs> yes, well, once everybody has kids and stuff, then you get into trouble. Oh yeah, for sure. But uh, so I'm very satisfied with my RPG digression. But uh, does anyone else have any very important questions that they would like to ask our exalted guest? Yes, I do have two uh, questions from our people who are not here that forced us to read the book. Uh, your your booktuber friends. Yeah, I can probably stick around a little longer. It looks like because I feel like I wasted some time. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I'm waiting for my dinner to arrive, and it's not here yet. <laughs> it's just uh, some two quick questions, and they seem to be. Uh, one was, have you ever considered writing something in or in one of your world already created worlds, uh, similar to like Mark Lawrence or something like that? Sorry, say that one more time. 
like writing a story in one of your already created um i mean i've done that oh, right, right? like there's a couple of shadow campaigns short stories and a novella in that world um i think uh, that may be it actually um i've done some yeah, I, was... ip stuff i wrote a story for um the second uh from a certain point of view anthology for star wars um i wrote a bunch of magic storyline i did the storylines for um return to ravnica and ixalan um if that means anything to everyone wow. the the immediate predecessor to war of the spark um uh, so yeah i do done a bunch of that stuff all right cool yeah and the last question i have is uh, what's in the works next if you can say um <clears throat> So, it's funny, we haven't announced it yet. It'll probably be announced by the time this airs, but I don't know that for sure. I have another... I have two new series that I'm working on, at least, um, coming out. But I don't know exactly when, and we haven't, like... I think we haven't given them titles yet. So, I can't really say very much about it. But um, <laughs> I'm doing a duology and then another trilogy, which I haven't started yet. Um probably to come out sometime in 2024. I'm not sure I'll have a book in 2023 other than uh, Emperor of Ruin. Because um, I'm sort of wrapping up this series and and starting new things. Um, so unfortunately, no, not much I can say much about um, yet. But, uh, you know, look me up. Kind of a stay tuned yes. on that one. I'm still writing because I like eating. And so, therefore, <laughs> I will continue to make books. I like to eat before I write. Oh. All right. Uh, that's the last uh, my question. So, I feel like I wasted half your podcast talking about Star Wars. That was this, awesome. That's perfect for us. But I, I do have one more question, I suppose. It, and I, I understand if it's not one that you can answer in like five minutes. So <laughs> I'm curious about your plotting, like how you structure your books, because um, mm. we found and I, full disclosure, I've only read this one book of yours. Mm -hmm. So um, it's really all I have to go off of. But we did find something that was, um, I, don't, I, I guess, kind of peculiar to, was uh, it felt like the book almost had three moments where it could have ended like that i'm just very curious if you write in a structure that sort of has like three sort of like crescendos or if that was like if if it was intentional or i'm it's just it's you know. partly intentional although it's not common that there are three it's not required that there are three or anything like that um I do a pretty strict outline of my books before writing mm -hmm. them. Um, so I go through a bunch of different stages of outlining and I finally end up with a document that basically has about a paragraph or two per scene. And um, it, you know, I try to make sure there are high points in the, in the book, you know, a, a book sort of needs a rising and falling rhythm. Um, mm -hmm. Because if it's just sort of rising all the way to the end in a book the size of Ashes of the Sun, which is, you know, 150,000 words or something, um, 
people are going to get bored, right, with no no climax. Sure. Um, it's weird that you can get bored of, like, excitement, but you can. Um, and so yeah, you, you need, need change, a right? downbeat. And so, but to have these downbeats, you need something in front of it. So, like, the clearest example in Ashes of the Sun is the big confrontation um, between Gaia and Maya in blah, blah, blah. I don't want to get too into spoiler territories. But mm, yeah. um, it after that, then Maya's in prison. And so we end up with, like, that as a down introspective moment, right? Um, and that's, you know, it's a thing that you want to do a couple times in a book this size. And, you know, it's it's not universal by any means but like it's something i try to put in there um you know if you're doing something closer to the size of a novella then it you may not need it sure sure so so that's kind of um one of those things that's going through your head when you're plotting Mm -hmm. is like i need ups i need downs and that's yeah i often sort of start out the plotting by figuring out what those things are, like where are the like big moments in the book. Okay. And then um, that can help you establish. It's easier to, to decide what the big moments are going to be and um, work your way to them than it is to try to make a big moment out of something that's not interesting. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Are you using yeah, like Hollywood really... formula or no, or yeah. a particular structure? Nothing specific. Um, I mean, I know everybody talks about structure in terms of acts, which is occasionally useful, but it's not really prescriptive. It's more like to discuss things that already exist. Um, mm-hmm. I just tend to do it in a sort of very loose like, okay, here's where we start, and here's where we end, and here's some points we want to hit in between and kind of tighten it up from there. Um, one of my metaphors is, like, imagine you have, like, a piece of string on a board, and you have these, like, tacks that you can fix points in the string. And so, like, as you you fix it down, you've determined the path, and, like... Sometimes you can try to put two in that are contradictory because they would stretch the string too taut between them and you have to adjust one or the other. But that's the kind of process of going from, like, it's loose and wiggly and can just be anything to, like, have a general structure and it can still move around, but it's, like, going across this path. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's a really neat visual image. Um, That's me, though. Like, process is really personal, and so, like, it's not everyone. Take it for any universal writing thing. I I have another kind of structure question for you, but um, it's a little weirder. Go ahead. But uh, so <laughs> this book, uh, compared to like most of what I've been reading this year, it just didn't hold back. Like there did not seem to be limits <clears throat> to what happened uh, in this world, <laughs> uh, and that included like violence and uh. Uh, language situations, uh, sexual encounters. Uh, it just did not seem like there were lines you drew for yourself. Uh, so I'm wondering if like there were lines, but you just, I, I just never saw them. They, 
Uh, you know, were, were there are there things oh, that sure. you're just like, no, that's too much. I mean, no cryptocurrency. There's no crypto. Yeah, <laughs> write a book with cryptocurrency someday. It'll be some horrible disaster. Uh, no, it's not. I don't like the the metaphor of like, like no, that's too much because it implies there's something that like I might want to put in, but I like held back. Like it would be good, but I'm not doing it for some other reason. Like there are things that I don't put in because I don't want them. Um, like there's no sexual assault mm -hmm. in the book. Um, it's it's just like not a thing in their world. Um, they don't really have homophobia or like transphobia either. Um, people just kind of awesome. deal with that, and like you know. That's not a thing I want, like, every book to have. You know, like, for example, shadow campaigns, like, our main protagonist is gay, and, like, dealing with that in their world where it's not really accepted is, like, a part of the story. But, like, it's not something you have to replicate every time just because, like, we do, we have it. Um, you know, so you, you get to decide what to include and what not to include. Like, they obviously don't have a lot of the, like, racial tension that we have because they have this, like, gonzo mix of skin and hair colors um, that's not even, like, mm -hmm. really heritable in, like, normal terms. Um, and so, um, you know, that helps. You know, in fantasy, one of the nice things about fantasy is that you can design the world kind of focus attention on the thing that the book is about like in a realistic world there's inevitably just clutter right and so if you want to write a book about a real person's experience it is invariably going to be messy and include all kinds of things that are not really what you're trying to focus on in the book but in fantasy like not that the world shouldn't feel messy but it can all kind of be in service of you know your theme and characters and what you what the book is about um so i mean there were definitely things that i didn't do or that were off the table in the books in the book but nothing that i like wanted to do certainly no one was telling me like there's no publisher looking over my shoulder and saying like you gotta yeah i can't gotta take this out uh, uh, uh. Well, I think I was thinking more like, you know, um, like who you thought your audience was, yeah. I guess, in terms of like what they could handle. So you weren't really even considering that. Oh, no. I mean, it was just like what you. I like. don't think of it in terms of what I can handle. I think of it in how I can make them happy. Right. Like, that's the goal. Like if there's stuff I take out for that reason, it's because it's like too niche of an inside joke or something. Like there's definitely things I take out because I'm like, this will make me laugh. And like my one friend laugh, <laughs> like no one, everyone else is just going to be like, what the fuck? Like no one cares. Um, stuff like that. Or like, um, in shadow campaigns, there was some like economic stuff I had to take out. Cause I'm like, this is too nerdy even for me. Like no one's going to read this. It's so boring. Um, because I'm like a super a super nerd for like economics and history, and I'm like I gotta show my work on the page, but like you don't have to show your work on the page. Have you read uh, by any chance the Dagger in the Coin? Oh, yeah. by Daniel Abraham. It's a great book. Okay, because as soon as you said you know too too economically in the weeds, yeah. I was like oh man, but I loved those books. He does um, a good job. No, I'm telling you, I could get more in the weeds than that. It just would be unreadable. No one would read it. 
Sure, sure. Okay, I have I have two questions. Um, uh, the first is, what are blackberries like in Star Wars? <laughs> I don't think they have blackberries in Star Wars. I never seen uh, them. Right? Like, where does the blue milk seems... come from? Is it blackberries? Are you squeeze them? <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Yes, you milk blackberries. <laughs> it's milk a very berry, dangerous. Though. It's a very dangerous profession. I, oh man, I, this it, is canon black, now. Blackberries in Star Wars are an animal that runs around. I think all we've seen people yeah. eat in Star Wars is like, like auto inflating bread, kibble, yeah. and like weird monsters. <laughs> that sounds right. Yeah, I was gonna add that. You know, the fish from Obi Wan, but that's that, that yeah, can be live a weird monster. monsters. Um, yeah. Mm. So you know. Uh, All right, but I have a real question. Oh, uh, baby, baby Yoda ate that lady's. Oh eggs. yeah, that was fucked oh, up too. Yeah, oh, baby Yoda's eating her <laughs> yeah, children. Baby Yoda ate people. <laughs> but we were watching at the time, and we're like, "This is fucked up right here." Yeah, they played it for a laugh, but it is monstrous. It, over and over again. I was like, <laughs> "It was not Stop, one time. baby Yoda. Why are you a monster?" <laughs> Oh man! All right, you had a real question. Well, kind of. Okay, so you mentioned that uh, you you have developed your process uh, and learned it as you went. You know, plotting and structuring and your process. Uh, uh, You know, as you went, starting with, uh, I presume, the thousand names. Uh, I have the thousand names on my shelf to eventually read, and I'm curious if there's anything when you look back at that book that you say, I would do this differently. Ugh, why did I do that? Because mm. I don't know. I'm just, I'm going to read it soon. So I'm curious, you know, yeah. what, what you didn't like. There are some bits and pieces. Um, I mean, part of it is just that it took me way too long. Like thousand names took me something like five years to write, which is bad and i've gotten better at it since then so a big part Mm -hmm. of what what i wish i didn't hadn't done was throw away tens of thousands of words of hard work because i went in a wrong direction so like having learned Uh, to like outline um you know learned a technique that works for me that lets me kind of you know get through it with less agony uh was a big a big win um Would I change anything? Yeah, I mean, inevitably, of course. There are some things... We did an okay job. Like, there's there's a sort of colonialism thing that has to be uh, dealt with carefully because it's a, it's a complicated topic. Um, and, you know, people to this day are affected by it. And so there's some of that I think we could have done a little better. Um, you know... It's not something I would avoid taking on um, because I mm-hmm. think it's interesting and it's a big part of the story. Um, I think I I underestimated the degree to which things that the protagonists do and say will be taken as heroic just because they're the protagonists. Um, and so there's oh, some stuff yeah. I would probably put in a little bit more about how certain characters' views are not necessarily justifiable, even though they're technically on the good guy's side. Um, that's something I learned as a result of writing. Um, mm-hmm. Stuff like that. Um, but no, I, there's nothing like really big that I would like completely do differently. 
Okay. Well, I'll look forward to it. It Yeah. It helps, of course, that I wrote many books before The Thousand Names. They just didn't get published or got published only in small press. So Right. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Well, that leads to a follow-up. Is there any of those books that is not in wide distribution that you kind that you wish would be not really um you know i wrote a book called memory of empire and a book called shinigami um and it's not that i'm not like glad i wrote them but those mm -hmm. have much more stuff that i would change um right and so people have asked me, like, are you, wow, why can't we get those anymore? Like, why is there no ebook version? And I'm like, honestly, because in order to put out a version that I'm happy with, I'd have to, like, basically rewrite them. Because um, mm -hmm. uh, that was, that was a long time ago. You know, I wrote, uh, you know, so I wrote Thousand Names is going on like a decade ago now of, like, constant writing, but Memory of Empire is another decade before that. Um, mm -hmm. And so... Uh, God, I'm old, but <laughs> uh, so no, probably not. I mean, there's none of them that I don't have the rights to, to be honest. So I could bring them out if I wanted. Sure. Um, I have some old fanfic stuff that obviously I can't publish because it's fanfic. Um, mm -hmm. Stuff like that. Ooh, ooh. Which of your books would you most like to see turned into a role playing game? Ooh, a role playing game. Um, I think this is you might you might infer my particular area of interest. The um Wells of Sorcery would make a great role playing game uh because it has a nice hard magic system um mm -hmm. which uh there are nine wells of sorcery and each person is connected to one or more and each one gives you different powers and the strength of them gives you different levels of power. Um, and some of them are ancient or forbidden. Um, and that, that I think you could put together a really good role-playing game based on that. Um, it would like a nice crunchy game. Like you can do a story game mm -hmm. in any setting. So like, I, you know, whatever, whatever speaks to you. But if you want like a nice crunchy role-playing game, that would be the one. I think actually my middle grade book could make a fun role-playing game because it's the the way the magic works is that the characters have to defeat go inside magical books that imprison creatures defeat the creatures in combat and then they gain the ability to use those creatures powers or transform themselves into them or summon them to fight so it's kind of has like that a little bit of a pokemon flavor mhm mm and a very a very clear uh, progression method yeah. Very cool. I might make my nephew read those. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I like them a lot. Those books have just like, you know, they're not like super popular, but they continue to sell year after year. I'm always surprised. Um, that's the Forbidden the Forbidden <laughs> Library is the first one. So it's still in print. You can just go get it. It's good audiobooks too. They got another really good reader. Yeah, thank you for coming to our podcast. Happy to. Uh, and don't forget to uh, check out uh, Ashes of the Sun yeah. um, with the third book coming out. You can probably very. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. You can always find me at DjangoWexler.com. Like on Twitter is currently the best way to get in touch with me, but God knows where Twitter will be in three months. 
Um, no. As, as of December 2022, I'm still on Twitter, but who knows where we'll end up. But anyway, but DangoWexler.com right. is mine, and all my contact info will always be there. So come and check it out, and check out you know wherever I currently am. Uh, so we appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. And as always, keep reading.